You sending the whoop? Shit, that's all you had to say. Get away from her, you bitch. Banana. Fortune and glory, kid. Fortune and glory. You're not even interesting enough to make me sick. It's only an island if you look at it from the water. I'm your density. You think I'm gorgeous? You want to kiss? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sending the Wolf. My name is Clark Wolf. I am recording this intro from Boise, Idaho, and I am very, very excited to be bringing you an all-new episode of the pod today. Today, my guest is DJ Wooldridge. Uh, he, you know him from Only Stupid Answers podcast. You know him from The Schmodown. You know him from SourceFed and a ton of other places. But DJ is also a, a comic book writer, and he has a new project that he is trying to crowdfund, which is super exciting. It's called Chaos theory zombies versus dinosaurs volume two and if you don't like dinosaurs and zombies then i don't know what you like and you are on the wrong podcast um so dj um dj is my guest on the show today and he d is doing a movie that has nothing to do with zombies or dinosaurs he's doing the dirty dozen um, star, uh, you know, Dirty Dozen is a, an iconic film for a lot of reasons. It is on the thrills list and it is a movie that I had, of course, never seen, um, until we watched it. And, uh, we had a really fun conversation. We had a fun conversation about this movie. I certainly didn't realize that, um, how, how impactful this movie was on so many other movies, which I think is a really good reason to sort of give it a whirl and watch. Um, and of course the cast is incredible. Lee Marvin leads the ensemble and um, Robert Aldrich is the director um, who directed one of my favorite movies, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, among other things. So it's a really great, fun conversation. And then at the end, um, I wouldn't it wouldn't be appropriate to have DJ on without uh, without talking to him about comics. So we we find our way into the comic book world and uh, talk about Batman and Superman and a couple of other really fun uh, side tangents. Um, last thing before we get started is the Sending the Wolf podcast is going to be doing a live show in Atlanta um, at the Terminus event uh, the weekend of June 15th. So it'll actually be on June 16th, Saturday night, June 16th. It's coming up a little over a month away and um, we are going to be locking in our guest very, very soon. But if you're interested in attending the conference, which I highly recommend you should, um, you can get a discounted badge if you go to terminusevent.com. If you buy your all access badge and enter the code sending S E N D I N G Bellwolf, uh, you'll get a per, you'll get percentage off. So that's great. Um, super excited for today's episode. Let's go ahead and just get into it. Here is my conversation conversation with DJ Wildridge talking about the Dirty Dozen and his comic book Chaos Theory Volume Two. And you can go to uh, Chaos Theory dot com and uh it will take you to the kickstarter and check that out because oh no chaos theory comic dot com yes and come on zombies dinosaurs who doesn't love those okay here we go the dirty dozen <laughs> Uh, 
And, um, you know, this is very casual. Cool. It's very conversational. It's not a history lesson. Good, because I'm not normally good at that. <laughs> or a trivia contest. Uh, just loosey-goosey. Um, but so... I feel like before we even get into anything, I have to tell the audience about what I said when you uh, picked this movie. Yes. So, so DJ sends me this movie and he says, we're watching The Dirty Dozen. And I was like, great, great. I need to see more Westerns. Yeah. <laughs> this is not a Western. <laughs> I was worried for a second because... Um, uh, I was like, is there a different Dirty Dozen? <laughs> no. I, I just did. I've no, this is so outside my wheelhouse, you mm. know? Like, um, I, I feel like with the exception of, this might sound silly, but, you know, when you're a kid, I don't know. Well, I always ask people about their gatekeepers. Like, did yeah. you get into pop culture and entertainment through family, friends? How did you get into it? Good question. I think um, my gateway into it was probably when my sister was born. She was seven years younger than my, than I am, and she was significantly premature. Okay. And so kind of distract me from all those shenanigans. My dad got me non-sports trading cards, like oh. superhero trading cards. Uh-huh. And so I think that was because my family is a little bit more conservative. So I, was, I wasn't one of those family the families that was like, hey, we're watching Die Hard for Christmas. Mm-hmm. Like. Um, so a lot of, uh, a lot of R rated movies I didn't start watching till like college. Okay. Um, but, but superhero stuff, um, video games, I got a, I got a Genesis around that same time. I uh, really, I should thank my sister for all of it. Um, <laughs> they just wanted to, uh, put my attention elsewhere. Sure. Um, so yeah, that was probably the start of. Of that, and then the first movie uh, I like straight up fell in love with. Like, oh my goodness, was actually Sam Raimi's Spider Man. Okay, cool. When I was in high, uh, probably early high school, maybe late middle school, but probably yep. early high school. Yep. Yeah. So the reason I ask, well, I I always want to know, but another reason that I ask is because when you go through the trajectory that really I think forms your taste, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's some. Something or someone usually kicks it off, right? Mm. And for me, um, my dad, you know, showed me movies when I was a kid. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. and and but my dad, who was a football player and an athlete, and he's a big guy, and he's yeah. and he's you know, um, but he's he's not never been into hyper masculine um, stories, if that makes sense. It does. So, like The Godfather, sure, yeah. Gladiator. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and so on and so forth. Superman, Donner's yeah. Superman, like totally into it. But when it came to hardcore war movies yeah. and even most Westerns, like don't get me, he will watch uh, Gunsmoke. It's on TV yeah. all the time. So he'll watch like, and Bonanza and all these things. Like, but when it came to, hey, like we need to sit down and watch this. Yeah. It was Mel Brooks. It was Richard Dope. Donner. It was, you know cool. what I mean? So, so I say that to say, Westerns and war movies are just this foreign thing to me. Yeah, I think my, um, I don't know if it's he would still count it as his favorite movie, but I remember growing up, my dad's favorite movie, because um, it, it, it had some connective tissue to his dad, was Rio Bravo, okay. which is a John Wayne movie. Um, I believe Dean Martin is, is as well. Um, and I revisited it not too long ago, and it's fantastic. It's so good. Um, and so I think that was probably my first exposure to Westerns. Um, but that's, that's a, that's a different 
animal than like something like the Dirty Dozen yeah. or even uh, the Wild Bunch. Totally. Yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because when I, so especially at the time that I sort of grew up, yeah. um, my dad always loved Arnold, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yes. Always loved him because I, because Arnold was an athlete. Yeah. And so my dad always, and also Arnold is a movie star. I mean, he's yeah. like funny and he's got a. It's, I rewatched, uh, I or watched for the first time. Uh, what is it? Is it uh Running Man? Yes. Uh, very recently, and it's like, he, Arnold made some, not only was he great in those roles, but he made some really great decisions. Yes. Because it's a, it's that total recall. They're legitimately great movies. Yes. Uh, and he's great in them. Yes. And so. he's one of those actors that I think needs the right director yeah. and needs the right uh, and needs the right material. Yeah. But when he figured it out, yeah. how to make that transition, yeah. yeah, he just he's a movie star, right? But when it comes to Stallone and when yeah. it comes to kind of the other, even Bruce Willis to a to a point, um, you know, it, it's not again, it's not that my dad didn't watch their movies. It's just that he didn't love them. So yeah. like I watched Predator when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah, I watched yeah. like the Arnold stuff. So. Anyway, I say that to say that I was just like, when I, when I started watching this movie, I was like, this isn't even close to a Western. Like, what? No, you got a, you got a uh, hard scrabble group of guys with a mission. There's Westerns that fit that bill. And I think if I, not to make excuses for myself, but first of all, I think I did two things. I think I combined, is it cheaper by the dozen? That is not that Steve Martin child movie, but isn't there the dirty dozen? Like these are Westerns. Right? Or there's is, a, a Magnificent Seven. Isn't there a tri- trilogy? Well, there's a... Not the I mean, Dollars trilogy. Yeah, there, uh, that's the one I was thinking of, the Dollars what trilogy. I thinking of? Yeah. Well, maybe... I don't know. Then I just made it all up. That's and, fair. It's fair. <laughs> so, so anyway, we'll get past that. Why did you pick this movie? Um, there was a lot of really good choices on the AFI 100 thrills list. There was also Blue Velvet, mm-hmm. which I, which is a movie I really love, and I considered bringing that up, but I wasn't sure I was ready to talk about that. With the, it, I think that was just a that's a movie I watch and enjoy. I don't yeah. know if I need to dissect it yeah. on somebody else's podcast. <laughs> um, and I just really like uh, Dirty Dozen. I think I caught for the first time in college because, like I said, when I got to college, it was really like uh, an awakening of sorts. Like I saw my first Scorsese film, mm-hmm. which was actually the departed uh which i really loved um i started watching tarantino um uh and so i I guess i really gravitated towards these types of movies and i and i i like the dirty dozen a lot because it's not your typical war movie it doesn't like it doesn't celebrate because the the opening scene is Lee Marvin, which Lee Marvin's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you could sell me on this movie just by saying Lee Marvin and Charles Bronson are in yeah. it, and I'd be in. Yeah. Um, and he's going to a hanging of of a soldier that committed a murder, and and the soldier's just like apologizing, like I don't, I'm sorry. And and there's it's a perfect tone setting because because there's almost there's few things more farcical than a soldier getting hung for murder. <laughs> And I think that sets the tone for how this movie views war. Yeah. And uh, and the, and it's interesting because it's set during World War II, but it was um, uh, dr- uh, created during the Nam years, mm-hmm. and you can feel that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the villains at the end are the Nazis, but for the majority of the movie, it's the military brass, right. it's the higher ups, like it's the it's the it's the military establishment. And so I like that I I um I like that take on kind of how ridiculous the idea of 
of war is. Yeah. It's, um, it's funny because, so I, I try not to do, like, I try not to do a ton. It sounds, it makes me sound rather ignorant or uninformed, but I try not to do a ton of research before I sit down to talk about the movie. Um, I, you know, and obviously I read up on, well, not obviously I do read up on it afterwards, but I did look a couple things up. And one thing that I wrote down was, a big percentage of this cast were actually World War II veterans, yeah. which I thought was really interesting and not uncommon yeah. for actors of this time. Exactly, because you know you you dealt with the draft and everything, and I think that's something a lot of the um, uh, tough guy movies today kind of don't have is is you look back all the way back to people like Humphrey Bogart and stuff like that. And these are people that probably killed somebody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they're not, they're not playing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like they're not like, this is, this is, they legitimately are tough. These are guys that actually legitimately could take you in a fight. Yeah. Um, as opposed, and, and the benefit we have now is we have so many really talented actors, but there's just something special about uh, watching people like Lee, Lee Marvin and Charles Bronson and, and the rest of, of this cast. Um, uh, I'm actually going to pull up because I don't know if I remember off the top. Yeah. Tully Savalas. Yeah, He served sure. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. Ernest Borgnine. Yeah. Lee Marvin, Robert Weber, and Robert Ryan were Marines. And Tully Savalas was Army. Charles Bronson was Army Air Forces. Ernest Borgnine was Navy. And Clint Walker was a Merchant Marine. And uh, and so that's something that we just don't, because we don't, we don't, thank God, we don't have the draft and all that stuff. Uh, um, there's... In fact, uh, Lee Marvin had an issue specifically with the scene. He takes a he takes a bayonet from somebody. He's mm. teaching him. I don't know. Actually, I don't know what he's trying to teach him in that scene. But he takes the bayonet bayonet off of Posey. I actually believe that actor is a football player. Mm. The the big guy. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yes. Yeah. Yes. And uh, uh, Lee Marvin specifically had an issue with that scene because he's like, that would. Why are they doing this? That yeah. would never happen. And uh, uh, the director was like, it doesn't. You guys go on a suicide. None of, none of this is realistic. Just roll with it. Right. I mean, well, it's funny because I was reading too that I think John Wayne, uh, or it was either John Wayne or well, I know John Wayne turned down a role, but I think the reason that was cited was because of there was a scene with uh, Lee Marvin's character where he has like an extramarital affair with the girls. Yeah. Originally, originally, um, there was a scene where he had that character had an extramarital affair and John Wayne was like, no, yeah. cause he comes from a different, right. he comes from a different time. Cause that's the other interesting thing with this movie is it doesn't really, um, it's a, it's a group of, for people that haven't watched it, uh, set during world war two, Lee Marvin's character is, is tasked with do, taking a group of, um, soldiers who are on either death row or going to spend the rest of their mm-hmm. lives in prison for various crimes. Uh, were soldiers in the military, but now are prisoners and he's going to take them on a suicide mission. Um, and this movie doesn't shy away from the fact that these are bad people. Like, mm-hmm. and, 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 um, uh, specifically in Telly Savalas' character, Maggot, yeah. uh, who is every, even the bad people in the group are like, no, he's a, he's, he's a nightmare. Yeah, yeah. He's a, he's the worst. And yeah. all, and the mission would have gone better if they were able to kick him out. But, um, <laughs> and, and I, I, if you're going to do it, do it. Don't pretend like, oh, no, these are really... Some of them, they, it, there's there's a spectrum of people. Yes. Because you have people like like Posey who's just massive. Yeah. And and it, somebody was pushing him and he hit him and he didn't mean to kill him, but he's huge. And in right. these types of movies, they just accidentally killed him um, to uh, all the way to Maggot. Yeah. 
who is a nightmare. <laughs> it's it's the it is a big spectrum, and um, you know, one of the things I I did like how how you know the they weren't they didn't shy away from making them a range of very bad yeah. to to you know okay not so bad as you say. Um, but the other thing I didn't realize I, the dirty dozen is a is a phrase that I think everybody has heard. Mm-hmm. It's just made its way into pop culture yeah. um, and and common language. But I didn't realize the plot. Of, or, or the general framework of this movie is now is a Hollywood trope. Yeah. Like Suicide Squad is dirty. There is one hundred percent. You know, yes. and and um, and even you know, and this is not uh, not surprising, but. You know, the movie was remade in Italy as Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. And then Tarantino mm. obviously yeah. did it. But that last, the last final sequence when they get to the, the, the chateau, yeah. yeah, is like, it's it's absolutely 100% uh, Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. It's the same thing. So it was really fun to me. And I mean, just the plot points and the idea of like, well, I got this, ra- it's the Expendables. It's, yeah. it's all of it that we know now yeah. as in other forms. And so I thought that was really fun. Like sometimes whether or not I like the movie, I can understand why it's on one of these lists yeah. because usually it's influence or it's impact yeah. more so than like quality necessarily. Mm-hmm. And, um, but yeah. And so I, I, once I was watching, I was like, Oh, the ragtag yeah. group of yeah, group totally. of guys going on the thing. And, and, um, and it doesn't, I, I mean, it's, this movie was made in the sixties, so I guess spoilers. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, it's also interesting when you, you're going there, like, oh, who's going to make it out? Spoiler, most nobody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, once they start dropping, they start going. And, and I, something I really like about this, um, too, is that you you end up having an attachment to a majority of ca- of the characters. There's, like, three or four mm-hmm. that are present. Mm-hmm. And I can't even tell you their, their yeah. names. But most of them have personalities. Yes. At least at least the at least the barest of, like, uh, the, the, bigger, the bigger the name, the more personality. Right. They get like, yes. uh, uh, Donald Sutherland is, is the idiot. Yes. There's even a scene I, I, uh, rewatching in this time where they're shaving, uh, mm-hmm. and, and they start complaining about it and he turns and he's clearly been eating the shaving cream <laughs> and it, and it's, they don't call it out. He's in, he's like the third person in the shot and it's just like, good Lord. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so the, the bigger names get the bigger personalities um, but you, you end up developing an attachment for these guys because a, a majority of the movie is these guys developing an attachment with each other. Yes. Because he's got to make them and turn them into a unit. Right. Um, while everybody's talking, all, all, the, all the brass just see them as basically trash. Mm-hmm. He's got to at least get them to invest in each other. Right. Or else they're not going to accomplish anything. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, and that's that's sort of the rather clever point, obviously, that he makes early in the movie is, you know, well, if you don't give them anything to live for, then yeah. why the hell would we go out? Why why would they care about anything? Like, yeah. it doesn't make any sense. You got to make the deal good enough. Exactly. And, uh, and Franco points out, uh, John Cassavetti's character uh, points out early on, and he's kind of like the middle, that spectrum we're talking about, he kind of hits the middle where he's not, he's not done the worst things, but he definitely 100% is just out for himself. Yeah. Um, uh, and he points out that a lot of them, like four or five are on death row, but a lot of them are just life in prison. Mm-hmm. So like, they probably shouldn't do this. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if you, once you've seen the end of the movie, it's like, yeah, you should have just stayed in prison. Yeah. And you would have probably been fine. Right. <laughs> I mean, other than the fact that you're in military prison. I mean, and it's a one, I guess it's a question of like the bigger questions of making their lives mean something, yeah. you know, and, and what, and I guess in theory they do now. 
In theory, <laughs> I'm not, you know, it's, it's interesting because I'm not, I'm not sure that the movie itself would back up that reading. Uh, oh, interesting. Because the impression I get is is the the movie's very cynical about the nature of war, mm -hmm. and I find that most interesting because it's easier from our generation to point stuff point to stuff like uh, the War on Terror, Desert Storm, mm -hmm. or Vietnam. Uh, but like the one war that like the righteous war mm -hmm. is World War II, and the ability for this movie to look back at that and be like, but it's still war. Sure. <laughs> you know but, what I mean? Yeah, it's still I guess. I mean, a bunch of people doing horrendous things for theoretically a better re uh, a greater cause, but like. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad that they sort of call attention to that, um, you know, early on, the idea of, like, it's not my war. Like, you no. go fight that war. I'm not doing it. No. Um, but um, I guess what I mean is that they, because they 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 have their, stat, the ones who die have their statuses sort of, like, honorable, on, they, they yes. become honorable again, yeah. right? And I think that's important for specifically going back to Posey. He wants his mm -hmm. family to to perceive him as not. A fuck up. Exactly. Can I curse? Oh, yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. Um, but yeah, so I think that's more of what I meant was like, you know, versus staying in prison to having it. Me I mean, they do go on. But you're right. Like, well, and I, it's a risk. I mean, they don't know they're not going to. We know because sure. we've seen it. But they don't know they're not going to make it out. Right. You of know course. what I mean? And they don't necessarily have the um, uh, the the mental tools to be able to like do the algebra of like, yeah, maybe it, this isn't the right call for me. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, well, speaking of, uh, Cassavetes, I'm glad you brought that up because, or brought him up because yeah. to me, the more I watch of him, the more I'm like, he just steals every scene. I don't yeah. know what it is, uh, whether it's, you know, Rosemary's Baby or this movie or countless other things that he's in and the fact that he was such an acclaimed writer and director. Yeah. Hold on. I want to check something. Keep sure. going. I want to check something. I, I'm super sorry. Did he, um, was it him that directed, uh, The Killing of a Chinese Bookie? Um, I don't think so. Or am I mixing him up with somebody else? I think that's somebody else because I was looking No, at it is him. Oh, Killing it is? Chinese Bookie, yeah. I, that's, a, that's a great movie. That's another movie I highly recommend. I've never recommend. seen that one. I recommend it. It takes a minute to... to uh, it has a very... Uh, it doesn't follow a normal structure. Uh-huh. It's kind of more conversational. Yeah. Um, uh, but as it, once you kind of get in on the conversation, it's like once you start listening in on somebody else's conversation and about halfway through you're included in on the conversation, sure. you're like, okay, I get what's happening. Yes. Now. But yeah. I highly recommend it. He, um, I was uh, now her, uh, Gina Roland. Is that right? Rollins? Is that right? The lady who is in Gloria and Faces. He, she was in a lot of his mm -hmm. movies. And um, so, but yeah, lots of Oscar nominations for Cassavetes. It's pretty yeah. just, it's really interesting. Yeah. Um, but the cast is fabulous. But speaking, and also I, I looked up the director. Um, yeah. And what an interesting um and eclectic, so Robert Aldrich. Yeah, and who you may know if you saw Feud. He's played by Alfred Molina. So I was going to say, Baby Jane. Yeah. Baby Jane is my jam. Nice. I love whatever happened to Baby Jane. Yeah. I think it is so good. But what's amazing is like, whatever happened to Baby Jane? Like, yes, they, you know, um, had got Oscar nominations and yeah. all of that stuff. Uh, but that movie, I think, was kind of considered to be a little trashy or yeah. a little like, you know, a little uh, um, salacious and, 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 
risky and dark. Yeah. And um, so it's just, I was looking at his credits and from, and so Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte in, is another genre, weird genre yeah. movie with Betty Davis. But then Flight of the Phoenix and Dirty Dozen and Longest Yard. And I was like, yeah. wow, yeah. he has like a really wide, you know, spectrum of, of movies, which I thought was cool. At the end of that, I, which I don't know how you felt about Feud, but I really, I really enjoyed that series. And at the end, it's like, Robert Aldrich went on to do great. I was like, what did he do? He was like, oh shit, Dirty Dozen. <laughs> Like, yeah. This is one of my favorite movies. I, you know, I didn't really ever, I never got through Feud. Okay. I was very excited about it. And then something happened and I got less excited about it. And mm. then I tried to watch the pilot and I got distracted and then I just never finished it. You'd Fair. think, right, that yeah. like that would be, especially for someone like me that loves whatever happened to Baby Jane. There might be too much expectation there. It's possible. You know what I mean? Yes. It's stuff like for me, I don't know. I didn't know anything going in. And so I just, it was just a well-crafted show. Uh-huh. And so I enjoyed it on that level. Yeah. Uh, so I don't, I haven't seen whatever happened to baby Jane. I haven't. I oh, haven't, still, yeah, even since yeah. seeing the show. I would like to go back uh, and check it out. But, um, but yeah, so I had no expectations going in other than I liked American Crime Story yes. and American Horror Story for the first few seasons. Sure. Um, and uh, yeah, so it was, it was cool seeing that, getting a little bit of the uh, placement of where this falls. Yes. On, on his career and kind of like, I guess, a little bit of the, the history leading up to the making of this movie. But it was interesting. This movie, um, from what I understand, received a little bit. It was very successful, made a lot of money. Yes. Um, but it was like, oh, it's so violent. Yes. Which is shocking to hear about now because it's like it's there's one shot where a guy gets sh shot in the face. Mm -hmm. And that it would probably be in a, a PG movie right. today. Yeah. And, and people were like wringing their hands about the, the violence of the movie. But again, I, especially for the time, I liked the idea that I, I just like the fact that it didn't, it didn't pull its punches. It didn't try to like, well, they're really nice guys. It's right. like, no, they're not. Yeah. And, and it, and I feel like it kind of like, I just, I'm like, maybe people that fight in wars, at least by the end of them, aren't really nice guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a totally, yeah. I think, I don't think you're wrong about that. And I will say I, I kind of, so knowing I had, I had seen that as well, the blowback about like the, the violence yeah. and, and all of that. But when the movie came out and then watching it, I felt like it was pretty tame the whole way through. But then when we got to the Chateau, I will say yeah. like, I was kind of like, okay, this yeah. is pretty now granted the, so it was, it was that thing of like, you're using these rapid fire guns. And so the bodies are like going yeah. like they're physically, you can tell they're moving their bodies in such a way and then falling down as opposed to now when like we have the technology to blow someone's arm off yeah. or to have blood shoot everywhere. But aside from like those technological elements, it really kind of, I was like, this is pretty. If for nothing else, the body count. Exactly. Yeah. And something I do like about that too is, is the, like I said earlier the the movie very much kind of presents the army brass um mm -hmm. as as the as the bad guys this it's this institution that is willing to use people as basically cannon fodder um but the transition watching it again this time the transition to where like hey yeah those are primarily because they're, they're kind of competing against another general the whole time all that stuff that goes to the wayside when they're in the mission and i feel like the transition point is um, maggot starts doing his maggot thing. A, a poor girl is in the wrong place at the wrong time and runs in the exact wrong person. And, uh, he stabs her mm -hmm. and she screams and then they cut to the Nazis and like, and they laugh it off. They're like, ha ha ha. It's a pleasure, whatever. And, and I think that's your switch because this whole time we've known maggot is the bad guy. Yes. And so the fact that the Nazis are kind of like 
in his spectrum, yeah. we're like, oh, fuck these guys. Yeah, that's and, right. And that's where you're like, that's, I think that's the transition point where it's the military brass, but also fuck the Nazis. And also Nazis suck. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> also if we're going to kill anybody, maybe it's these Nazis maybe, in this room. Yeah, maybe Nazis top of that list. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Um, it's, um, yeah, you know, it's, so have you ever seen, um, it comes up surprisingly all the time on this podcast now, but um, Best Years of Our Lives. Mm -mm. So Alicia Malone picked that one, of course, because it's a classic William Wyler movie. Mm -hmm. um, but if it, of William Wyler's movies, it's it's not lesser known, but it's lesser talked about mm -hmm. now. And basically, it's a movie that take that just follows four guys who are coming back from World War II. Yeah. Um, I want to say it was made in the late, 40s or 1950s. So okay. it, it didn't, there wasn't much hindsight. Yeah, World War II was pretty fresh. Exactly. Yeah. And Weiler himself was, um, was, a, was in the military. Yeah. So um, the movie is about them acclimating, like get back, getting back into quote unquote normal life. Yeah. And one of the things that was so powerful about that movie is the conversation about the necessity of war mm -hmm. um, amongst people and veterans yeah. once the war was over yeah. um, and, and how, you know, and how people, people were did not sure, uh, was it a good idea? I don't yeah. even know if it was that important. And then, um, you know, something that, that this movie reminded me of was Saving Private Ryan. I feel mm -hmm. like Saving Private Ryan similarly, because I just watched that. Nice. Um, it was a, it was like war month. Everybody yeah. who came on the podcast, like, it was best years of our lives, uh, Good Morning Vietnam, nice. and uh, and and um, Saving Private Ryan in like a one month You're span. You're welcome. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> but um, I say all that to say one thing that really struck me about Saving Private Ryan this time around was how the military is it, the, the military brass yeah. is not painted in a very nice light yeah. in that movie. I mean, they they are clearly sending this rescue mission not because they think it's the right thing to do. They know it's a dangerous idea. It's all about optics. Yeah. It's about, oh, shit, we, this lady, all her kids are going to die out there. Yeah, okay, go get one of them because we, we don't want this to look bad. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And I, I thought that was really important in that movie, and I think they do it here. I mean... I think they criticize the, they don't criticize the soldiers, but they, I think, allow the soldiers to be a little more uh, unli unlikable yeah. um, in this movie. Yeah. But yeah, I, I felt like I was really impressed at how Private Ryan sort of walks that line yeah. of not trying to say like, this is, you know, in... It walks a lot of lines, quite <laughs> frankly, but I do, you can see how this movie was a very, it, it definitely influenced the war movies that came after It's it. interesting because, um, I mean, we've all, if you've ever worked in retail or fast food mm -hmm. or air service at all, you know what it feels like to be a cog in a machine with somebody that doesn't view you as a person, yeah. but as a means to an end. And then you take that and you apply that to risking your life. Yes. And and um and it's like, well, wait, why are we doing this? Yeah. And then on a in a in a broader sense, it's different. It, it it doesn't surprise me that those conversations happened around World War II about about whether it mattered or not because we didn't know about Vietnam mm -hmm. or the Korean War or other ones that were even more nebulous in there and whether they mattered or not. So you didn't that that was the benchmark at the time. Um, but there's a, I guess recently I've been thinking a lot about like, you know, what would happen? Everybody's like, hey, we're going to go. All you people are going to go and kill these people. Mm -hmm. And if all those people are like, nah. 
Yeah. Nah. <laughs> yeah. I don't feel if everybody's like, why though? Yeah. It's, Is there a real reason? <laughs> it's tough, you know, because I think World War II, uh, the narrative of World War there, I am not, I am not a war expert. Mm-hmm. I am not a war scholar. Okay. Let me just say that right up front. But I do think that the broad strokes um, of World War II, you know, stopping Hitler from taking over Europe. Yeah. Important. Well, right. That's the kind of the thing that I feel like has, has, we've used that as an excuse for almost every other war. Cause that was like the one time where it's like, it was evil. Right. Normally it's just different ideologies, but this time it was like, no, these, those guys are evil. Yeah. And especially once we got over there and we saw what they were doing, it's like, Oh my God, these guys are fucking evil. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so now it's being like, remember that? Well, these guys are evil too. And it's like, well, sometimes. Right. And that's, yeah, <laughs> I, it's a, it's a, it's a, listen, it's a tricky thing. And Rachel, do you know Rachel Cushing? I don't um, think so. So I, the, I, she's not really, doesn't really do what like our group of uh, professionals do. Mm-hmm. I suppose she's works in post-production, but she's plays in the Schmodown. Okay. Um, and she's my, she's my partner in the Schmodown. Um, but she is a huge, not only, uh, war movie buff, but mm-hmm. war buff. Her okay. father like really educated her about a lot of war history and nice. and things like that. And um, you know, yeah, that's something that that we, she and I really talked about because she picked Saving Private Ryan. But I think it applies here too. I think it applies in general. Anytime you're talking about going to war and and yeah, cog in a wheel and yeah. like and knowing that human lives are going to be sacrificed. Yeah. Of it, it's not about and no matter the ideology, you know, human lives will be lost. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, y- you hope, and I'm not being naive, but I would hope that uh, the person who is in charge takes that very seriously. But also, I, I wish that our leaders uh, had more adult conversations with the country. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the idea of, because that's something that's different from this time around. Or, yeah. You know, um, Vietnam showing the, showing the dead bodies coming yeah. home and and the and famously in the Iraq war, yeah. do not cover that, yeah. you know, and, and the, the, so it's, it's tough. It's, yeah. it's, and a it's tough interesting because, um, yeah, it's just a difference with these guys. And again, they, they they set up the dichotomy there because again, with that first guy, he's he's getting he's getting hung because he killed somebody. But you're over there to kill people. Yeah, I mean, and so it's, there's there's this weird um, double standard yes. of expectation. Yes, um, of what you're requiring people to do and whether that's that's fair or not. And taking these group of guys that. Um, are, are are criminals, but viewing them as people. Right. Like the movie, for the most part, uh, uh, give or take a maggot, views these people as people and has sympathy for them. And I think something interesting with the final, um, uh, Lee Marvin and um, Charles Bronson and those guys are are played undeniably cool. Like these mm-hmm. guys are cool yeah. motherfuckers. Yeah. Like Lee, uh, there's the, there's that opening scene where where Lee Marvin's talking to each one of them, and each each time he gets like this dope one liner before yeah. he leaves the room, uh, almost to the point where it's a joke. Like I'm leaving. Here's my great one liner. Yeah. Um, but the actual final mission. I don't know if if you could describe that as being depicted as like, isn't this rad? No, it's like a mess. Yeah. It's just a mess, and especially once people start dropping. The the and this this was actually a logistical thing. It wasn't. I when I when I uh, looked it up later, it's not. It, this wasn't written this way. But the first guy that dies, 
he actually wasn't supposed to die there, but that actor left for whatever reason. I don't mm-hmm. know if it was a, if he didn't like the people mm-hmm. or, or there was a whatever. And so they had to write him out. So right off the bat, they all parachuted in. Oh, right. he hung himself yeah. on a tree uh, on the on his way down. And yeah. It was stupid, and it, it doesn't matter, and it doesn't help the mission, and it wasn't glorious, and he's just dead. Yeah. And it's and that's what it is for the most part. You're just throwing human lives at a problem and hope that that works. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> this is on the thrills list, and I will say something I really appreciated in in the final in the final sequence was uh, the fear in everybody's eyes. Yeah. Like they looked. I mean, they looked nervous. Yeah. Of course, rightfully so. Now, granted, you got to play it cool, yeah. you know, and you're being covert, and they are cool. Like, you know, when Lee Marvin and Charles Bronson take off their, you know, take off the uniforms. Yeah. Yeah. And throw them down and like they're just like raw. I'm um, you know there's like it's, yeah. they look cool. Yeah. But but it reminded me of um and I I'm, I know this is intentional. Uh, the same tone and tension in uh, Tarantino's and Glorious Bastards yeah. when they're at the theater. No. Um, it's it's the exact same thing. And and I liked that. I liked how they didn't show them being like you know Mr. Tough Guy and like I know I'm cool and this is gonna be fine. Like yeah. they look nervous. Yeah. It, it's um. Uh, and speaking of Tarantino and stuff like that, something, cause I know he made a big deal in, in bastards that they speak the language because it really, in that war specifically mattered. And, but I'd forgotten going back to this, that, that for, especially for the time, this movie actually hewed pretty closely to that too. Like they make a big deal that Charles Bronson character speaks German. Mm-hmm. And when he's talking to all the Germans, he's speaking German. Yeah. His accent's probably dog shit, but he's speaking <laughs> but German. He's yeah, yeah. And, um, and that matters. And another thing that, that impresses me with this movie going back because because uh, I like it because it's subversive and the action and all that stuff and it's got actors I like but it's also super funny yes like for a majority yes. of the movie up until that last raid it's super funny yes uh, and I think that's one of my favorite scenes is when they're all supposed to go and that's also really interesting that the movie takes the time to like these guys go into a counselor yeah uh, for the good it does and they actually go into one and when he's trying to like penetrate Charles Bronson uh, who's the closest to like the action guy archetype in this movie? Like straight up, he's just the guy, uh, and he's just thinking about baseball. <laughs> yeah. And there's not much else going on yeah. there. He's just that's. Uh, wasn't Charles Bronson also in The Great Escape? Yeah, I want to say yes. Yeah. Yes. Also, uh, I, if this had been on the list, I might have gone with that. Speaking of westerns, I might have gone with Once Upon a Time in the West because mm. I think that's my favorite western, that's and I a, like westerns a lot. Is who directed that one? Leone. Okay. Yeah. Uh, because I think that one. Shame on me for not doing my homework. I think that one just got Once Upon a Time in the West was just recommended to me or added to my list. Added it's good. to the list. It's long. But it's not a short. Yes, movie. that's what it was. Todd Gilchrist and he yeah. he said I think he added it. I'm a I'm a I'm a I've grown as I grow older. I'm a big believer in like less is more. Agreed. Like like if you, the tighter you can make it, the better. Leone did not believe in that. No, <laughs> you know it's funny. I will say because this movie has a two and a half hour runtime. Yeah. And I looked up a Hollywood Reporter review um, when the movie came out. Yeah. And um, you know it ultimately I think gave it a mostly positive review. It criticized it pretty heavily. Yeah. Um, but one of the things it mentioned was this is too long. Yeah. And I will say now, granted, I our generation gets accused 
accused of not having an attention span, but yeah. I don't think that's true. Even though our movies are getting longer. I was just about to say, yeah. our movies are getting longer, and all we do is watch eight episodes of a TV yeah. show in a given sitting. But um, that said, I did notice how for this being such an archetypal, an archetype that has gone on to influence whether it's whether it's Tarantino or Suicide Squad yeah. or whatever else, um, I, I see how the modern interpretation of this movie has cut a bunch of stuff down. Yeah. Like you just like the action beats, but this script uh, and this movie, like I I totally see how it's just the bigger expanded first version of all the pop culture. Yeah, and it's after. interesting too because uh, it is an action movie. It's a war mm-hmm. movie, but their only really big action sequences are the final sequence mm-hmm. and then when they do the war games. Right. Um, and the rest of it is more just character focused on who these guys are, why they, how they ended up here. Why, which is which is important, I think, with with a, with an ensemble movie like that because the the dynamic matters. Yeah, and especially at the end, if most of them are are going to eat it at the end, you have to, you care, have to care a little bit, mm-hmm. um, so that when you build up, and of course they they save what what would probably be at least intended to, if not actually, the audience's favorite mm-hmm. one, which is Cassavetti's Franco. Yeah, he's the last one to yeah man to eat it. But I also like I have to look up his name the. Um, the mil- the main military police officer uh-huh. that's Lee Marvin's right hand guy, mm. um, and I remember watching it this time. I was like, "Why the fuck is he on the mission? Mm. Like, is he? He's, his job's just supposed to watch these guys. Like, why yeah. is he there? I love him though, because yeah. and it's a, and that's another good dynamic because he is he is a by the book, he right. is the by the book guy. That but but even he sees the merit and what Lee Marvin's character is doing and and the group they're trying to make and and the and the little the little growth steps of. Um, you know, first they sleep on a dirt floor because they need to earn their floor. And right. then when they make the when they make a big fuss about shaving, Lee Marvin's like, no, this is actually great mm-hmm. because it gets them all working together. And it's just interesting to like um, w- one of the the biggest movie out right now, big, huge spectacle, whatever. There's almost zero character development. You In know Infinity I mean? War? Yeah, there's there's uh there's the the closest you get to a main character. You want something, he struggles to get it, and then he gets it, and then the end. He doesn't nobody really is a different person by the end of the movie. Except Thor. Uh I've, yeah. Um but this I would one argue. the this the you see the group go through a change. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. And become a, not not the the army at large would probably still poo-poo these guys. Sure. But but they're they're able to work as a unit, and that's what matters in this situation. For sure, yeah. I agree. Yeah, except for Mackin, <laughs> except for him, which is why you cut him. Because fuck that. Guy. Yeah, fuck that guy. Um. <laughs> and they make a big deal like he can't make changes to the roster, which I, I it, to me is probably one of the most unbelievable aspects mm-hmm. of it. Like, why would they care? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. But but of course, he can't because he would one hundred percent cut Maggot. Yeah. Like right off, the, he probably cut half the guys. Of course, yeah. yes, yes, immediately. Yes, it's funny. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So I, you I, have to make some sort of like, no, they won't let me. It's the it's yeah, because the, the movie won't work if I right. if I'm able to get rid of any of these people. That's exactly it. It's like because the movie won't work. Yeah. That's the story. Um, well, okay, so everybody gets to add a movie to the list. Okay. Um, and it can be any movie. What are, any any movie it doesn't have to be because when they the AFI 100 was made at the turn of the century, basically. Right. So it was from 1900 to. 1999, basically, mm-hmm. but it can be a movie out, outside of there. Sure. Okay. This is this is this is our game. If you if you'd asked me to do it within the confines of the last century, okay. I would have said Heat. 
Okay. Because I was Good actually choice. genuinely shocked it was not on the list. Especially for thrills. Yeah. I, mean, I was I was very surprised that it was not on there. No Michael Mann films were on there. Yeah. Um, because the other competitor for me for Heat would have been Thief. Mm. Um, which which as much as I love Heat, I actually might like Thief more. Mm. Um, if but if we're saying any movie, and like you said, you're talking about movies that are influential, mm-hmm. um, and there's a whole genre of movies that have become incredibly successful since this list was made, I would actually probably say The Dark Knight. Okay. Because not only do I, I think it's a, it's a really excellent movie, mm-hmm. but I think it's probably the the pinnacle of that genre. Mm-hmm. Which, if you were making the list now, it's like, well, somebody has to represent that genre because it's huge. Yeah, it's massive. You right. know what I mean? Um, so, so I would probably say The Dark Knight. Okay. If you were making this list today, it's like that's your probably. Be on so, there. and here's a question for you: Do yeah. you think that The Dark Knight? Let's say that a person was coming to The Dark Knight and had not seen Batman Begins. Yeah. Um, and hadn't seen a Batman movie after that. Mm-hmm. Um, they just it's just as a standalone movie. Do you think The Dark Knight is still one of the greatest movies of all time? Yes. Okay. Yeah, especially for that genre. Mm-hmm. If you want a representative for that genre, because and and especially you, you bring up a good point because I think especially now a majority of the movies in that genre uh, don't stand alone. Mm-hmm. And I think Christopher Nolan should be given credit for going out of his way. Not only do each of those movies, those three Batman movies, stand alone, but they're almost d- different genres of movie. I would agree with that. Yeah, for sure. Like, um, which I think is why the third one uh, gets so much static. Mm-hmm. Um, because the first one is the closest to a superhero movie. Sure, it's very uh, origin story. Yeah, um, and and the fact that I was thinking about Heat for pre two thousand says a lot about why where my head is at between yes. those two because because yes. Dark Knight owes a lot to Heat. Yes, um, and and it's it's a crime epic, and then I would argue that um, Rises is almost like. Uh, he compared it a lot to like a tale of two cities and stuff mm-hmm. like that. It's mm-hmm. almost, it's, it's a little bit of a war movie. It's a little bit of like a society in decay. Yeah. Movie. Like a class. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and so yeah, 100%, I think you could go in with that movie without any prior knowledge, get all the information you need. Um, and I think it's one of the few examples of, of that genre that is just a good, it's just a good movie. Mm-hmm. It's not, it doesn't need a qualifier. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a, it's just an excellent representation of the superhero genre. It's, it's also a really good crime movie. Mm-hmm. It's a solid action movie. Um, performances are good. Performances are great yep. all over the board. Uh, it says something. Mm-hmm. It has a theme. Totally. In that great. Totally. Um, <laughs> it has a perspective. Yeah. Uh, and also it's, it's one, I think it's one of the better movies to tackle the ideas of like, the war on terror and the police state oh, yeah. and all that stuff. Because I think when it, when it comes to that, uh, you know, uh, I'm a big fan of like a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. Agreed. You want movies that try tend to tackle bigger issues head on are, uh, they're not, really hard to do. Yeah. They're really hard to do and they're not entertaining. It no. just feels like a lecture. Yeah. And so if you're, if, and that's not the beauty of story is you're able to couch ideas into something um, a little less direct, a little bit more abstract and let your audience, it's, it's almost like a conversation. Yeah. You know, you're throwing out some there and then they get to add to it, mm-hmm. their perspective on it. And, um, uh, together you, you come up with a, with a perspective. Uh, and I think the dark Knight is a good example of that. And especially in, in the big blockbuster world. Um, I think it's a really great example of that. And, and, it, and again, it's just, it's just one of those, like, if you're like, well, we're going to, one of these movies is going to end up on the list. What would it be? Well, and Heath Ledger winning the Oscar. The Oscar. I, I think that was a culmination of 
up until that point. Granted, I do think it was a fabulous performance, and yeah. I do think he was an underappreciated actor yeah. who should have won accolades before he yeah. passed. Um, but I will say, also, I think that that was an attempt at the Academy not only trying to recognize Heath Ledger, the actor, yeah. who was taken too soon, but also trying to recognize what Christopher Nolan had done yeah. uh, with this with this type of a movie. Yeah, and, you, and there's a long history of Hollywood movies, I mean, just movies in general kind of being viewed like um, inconsequential. And then, and then stuff that kind of makes it like, like crime movies were kind of like, uh, B movie trash. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually you get to stuff like the Godfather, mm-hmm. which is quintessential, you know, war movies, you know, same thing. Um, it, horror, it, yeah, my favorite, my you know jam. I mean? That one still, I, I don't know if it, it, I still doesn't think, get the respect I think it deserves. I agree. Uh, it's still kind of on the outs and, and honestly, uh, superhero movies might still be the same. I think they are. Might end up being in the same boat. I don't think they'll ever get the the seat at the table that like the crime genre but isn't, has gotten. Isn't it fascinating how, you know, gladiator Ben Hur, like, yeah. you know, we can look back at the, I don't know, the, the swords and sand, the, yeah. the, the gods and goddesses and yeah. what these epic stories and epic Hollywood movies and say, Oh, this is cinema. This is mm. art. This is the, the pinnacle. Yeah. But now our modern, our modern version of those tales yeah. just happen to not be wearing togas. They're wearing, you know, superhero outfits. Yeah. Like I, I just, the snobbery around it is bizarre to me. Yeah. Um, even like James Cameron just saying that, you know, throwing shade at the superhero subgenre and saying, yeah. why do we need all these movies when meanwhile he wants to make five avatar movies? Well, and also and, all of his movies are genre movies. I mean, except of course. Titanic. Except yeah. but Titanic is a period piece, but like Terminator, right. Alien, Avatar, all, all that's aliens, excuse me. Um, all those, all that stuff is great, but it's all genre movies. Right. You know what I mean? It's yeah. all, it's all stuff that, you know, uh, 10 to 15, uh, 50 years before yeah. would have been being like, nobody yeah. takes that seriously. It's really, I do, I wonder if the superhero subgenre. Star Wars. Like Star Wars was inspired by old serials, which if, if you've ever watched any of the old mm-hmm. Flash Gordon or Buck Rogers, it's like, they're incredibly silly. Yeah. You know? Um, um, but it's just, it's found a way. Although I do think, again, I think Star Wars uh, occupies a rarefied air that most other sci-fi space operas wouldn't be allowed mm-hmm. to penetrate. Yeah, I agree. Um, which is also probably true of um, the Marvel movies mm-hmm. that they're 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 kind of like given a pass on that other superhero movies are not allowed. Like they're they're viewed more critically. Mm-hmm. Is there like a is there a horror equivalent that a, a genre that like oh no that gets to be high regard highly regarded. Where the rest of them are like, no, no, that's just horror. I would say the th- uh, thriller, like it, it's um, like not it's like Silence of the Lambs yeah. or whatever David Fincher's working on. Okay, or, so it's one of those things that kind of like you could make the argument that it's horror, but it's also like everybody, you know, this as is as long as there's not a monster. Exactly, <laughs> this is the internet's favorite hot take: is yeah. whatever the popular horror movie at the time is, it's not really a horror movie. Is that that really bothered me? I don't know where you fall on this. That actually really bothered me with The Witch. Yeah. And it's like, are you, are you I mean, me? it's totally a horror movie. Yeah, That's it. 100%. Yeah, I mean, it's like not even, like, I don't know. It's, I mean, it. it's not subtle about being a horror movie. Oh, it's just it's spo- a certain kind of horror movie. Spoilers, a baby is ground into powder in the first, like, 10 minutes of the movie. Yeah. 
It's fucked it's up. It's horrifying. Yeah. And I will make the argument that it's like that, unlike a lot of like slashers or stuff like that, that movie sat with me. Mm-hmm. Because the things that, the things that it touches on are, are, are scary beyond, the monster represents something that is universally scary. Yes. In just life. Yes. And so it's something that, it, that I would just think about. Um, Although, don't think me wrong, I love the Conjuring movies. I think those are amazing. Yeah. Uh, I those mean, are basically the superhero equivalent of of, uh, of horror movies. They're very commercial. Yeah. I will say the first Conjuring movie, I think, is an American masterpiece. Like, nice. I really do. I yeah. think that's James's yeah. masterpiece. I love the idea of, like, what if we took an exorcism tale and just really cranked it up to blockbuster levels? Like, just really go apeshit with and, it. But, you know, and also, a pot, like, granted, I can watch The Conjuring Seriously, at any time of the day, at any part of the movie, and within five minutes, I get chills. Like, it it gets under my skin. But the more I watch that movie, uh, the first Conjuring movie, because I do enjoy parts of the second Conjuring movie. And also, I think the second Conjuring movie is a perfectly good movie. Yeah. Um, It just just, doesn't reach your standard for the first one. Correct. But what I will say about the first Conjuring movie is that that is a movie about women and mothers mm. um, and it, whether we're talking about the woman who pledge, pledges allegiance to Satan and kills her children, yeah. whether we're talking about the possession of Lily Taylor's character yeah. and this dedicated mother and uh, and her family is the most important thing in the world to her and her ultimately trying to murder her children. Yeah. Um, and when we're talking about Vera Farmiga and Vera Farmiga not only having her own children um, but being a mother as a seer Mm -hmm. to the people around her you know so it's very very much a movie about matriarchy and I think that there's a powerful because I didn't catch it I'm gonna be completely honest with you I loved The Conjuring the first time I saw it yeah I love The Conjuring the second time I saw it. But once I started watching it at home or like watching it on my own, I started to realize there's some incredible acting in that movie. Mm -hmm. And um, there's some incredible emotional beats in that movie. And James directs the shit out of it. And so I just, yeah, but, but that said, like, you know, um, the, you know, it can't be a monster, meaning it, the Stephen King movie, that's my favorite hot take on the internet, mm-hmm. is that it is not a horror movie. I I don't, like, yeah. it's just comical, but it is, no, it's a coming of age story that happens to be set in the genre movie. And, and it's like, well, that can a, be true, that's too. How movies work. But yeah, it's like. It, it's it's interesting that people, don't, it, it, like, um, I've been, um, uh, I've been borderline obsessed with, uh, Donald Glover's This Is America music video. Oh my video. God. Like it once is. I watch it once a, once a day and it's really excellently, it's really well put together. Um, but it's funny watching kids on the internet, uh, like God bless Donald Glover for teaching children on the internet about subtext. Yes. They're like, this thing means another thing. <laughs> Have you ever in your life experienced anything like that? And it's like, well, yeah, I mean, he does a really good job with it, but he didn't invent Subtext has been around. Yeah, I mean, like, that's, yeah. What, that's art yeah, in a lot that's of ways. What, like, and I know, like, a lot of, like, a lot of movies don't bother, <laughs> but, or, or it's, it's, it's there in a thin, in a thin sense. Yeah. But yeah, I think specifically one of the reasons I like genre movies is because you're, you're, it's a unique opportunity to touch on really important stuff. Like, like, again, I, I talk a lot about the superhero genre a lot. Mm-hmm. And that's in a unique position to um, discuss uh, discuss things that people are going through on the most heightened plane imaginable. So it's very enjoyable, but it should also be relatable. Yes. And I think that's the success. That's where you find the success of stuff 
the wild success of stuff like uh, Black Panther, Luke Cage, Black Lightning, mm-hmm. Wonder Woman, um, um, because those most uh, directly tap into why Superman was initially successful and why the genre was successful, because when it was created, um, there people were in this country were, and they still are, but like you were coming out of the depression, mm-hmm. um, you had to deal with, uh, corruption and crime and all this stuff. And that idea of having some sort of fictionalized savior mm-hmm. that represented the best of humanity that could pull you out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the closest connective tissue we have in our generation is, is heroes like them because they, they deal with the, the suffering that, that people are going through now in this country and have been going through for a while. Um, uh, and so I think they, that's the importance of genre entertainment. Mm-hmm. You know, horror allows you an opportunity for catharsis mm-hmm. of, of process. Like, The Quiet Place is all about, like, gee whiz, isn't uh, having a family a fucking challenge? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and it allows you to, to unpack those feelings. A uh, great example, Babadook. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, sometimes moms that have kids there's a part of them that don't really like that kid. And you know what? That's normal. Yeah. But we don't talk about it. Right. And the Babadook is allowed to. Yeah. In a horror movie. Yeah. That's right. And that's what makes it great. Yeah. And the, and it's and it's, it's interesting that those those movies don't get the love because they're not serious about it. And uh, Yeah. And, yeah, that's... and I, I like serious movies. And I like it when these movies can be serious. I mean, the one I put on this list is The Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. And so all of the superhero movies is probably the most serious. Yeah. Um, it, but also it doesn't, it doesn't lose a beat on what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has a semi-flip uh, end over end. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like it knows who it's sure. who its audience is. Sure. Um, so you're allowed to touch on that stuff. I just, you know, it's. I think it's good to not get lost in whenever whenever anything's trying to be like super serious. It's like yeah, it's too much. Yeah. All right, last question before I let you go. Yes. Before we do our very special mini, which is going to be great, uh, to talk about your pro- your new project. Mm-hmm. Um, but before I let you go, as a su- as a superhero guy or yes. somebody who talks about superheroes a lot. Why do you think, uh, I'm not talking about specifically the choices made in the last five years about Superman in Mm -hmm. the DCEU. I'm not talking about that specifically, but in general, are we too cynical? Are we too afraid to have emotions? Like what is it about Superman that you think is hard for mass audiences to to relate to. I think um, uh, a problem with uh, Superman is actually similar to the problem Marvel has with the Fantastic Four. I think on a on a certain level it represents kind of the most, it, interestingly, both of those are like patient zero for those companies' major successes. Mm-hmm. Um, Marvel Silver Age started with the Fantastic Four and comics in general, superhero comics in general started with Superman. Um, and so I think maybe on a certain level they represent um, the, the, the most dated Aspects, at least in in common cultures, ideology. Um, b- but there is a there's a certain optimism too. I think we're getting away from that, which might have been why there was some sort of there was some backlash to Batman v Superman and Man of Steel because um, uh, the Marvel movies are are pretty oh, well. It's in, that's interesting. The because um, they're pretty light, but the heroes aren't light. The heroes aren't aren't, uh, necessarily, uh, happy all the time. Um, yeah, I think it's more people, there's the general consensus that he's too powerful and he's too corny. Um, but again, cap, those movies make money. Um, and I think there, I don't, I think the problem is you don't really get creators that 
get the character and like what makes him work mm-hmm. uh, and going back to why he was created, when he was created, what made him appealing then in, in those, in those times. Um, Cause I, I really don't think it should be, you, you have to find a right, uh, a, a right perspective on the powers and how they work. Mm-hmm. Cause you, you want general stakes and you want to know um, uh, what, what his limits are. But it, on another level, it should work because on, on a certain level, Clark Kent and Superman are is is Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. You know, like Indiana Jones puts on the fedora and he's got the whip and he's doing his shit. But then he goes in the classroom. You put those glasses on Harrison Ford and he's a dweeb. Yeah, and it's the same dude. Yeah, you know what I mean. And and so on a certain level, that's Superman. Yeah, and that worked. Yeah. Um. Uh, granted, it took a Steven Spielberg to to make it work, <laughs> and it took a Harrison Ford to make it work. True. Um. And so, uh, I think it's like. If you, a lot of the creators I really admire are able to, with all all the characters, are really able to strip away all the all the stuff that's been put on over time and really look at like, no, what what was the the core of this thing that made it so popular? And yeah. made, because again, going back in the day, this was this was the idealized version of you were, you were being picked on. You dealt with organized crime. You dealt with corruption. You dealt with poverty. This was the guy that saved you mm-hmm. from that. You know, um, and I think that matters uh, just as much today the idea of who is um the best of us and um and he can be he can he can grow i was going to say he can be flawed but i think it's it's um a more accurate uh, description is is you want a character that can that can grow because it's i most of my favorite marvel movies are the cat movies Mm -hmm. Uh, and but my only issue with them is he doesn't grow Mm -hmm. everybody everybody else around him learns that he's right Mm -hmm. as opposed to him coming to a realization about himself. Um, all the character development is kind of like uh, shunted onto uh, Tony Stark, which mm-hmm. is great because it's Robert Downey Jr. and he's a fucking, uh, there's a reason he's, he's the superstar of that franchise. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's the thing is, is a lot of these movies are, are made because like, oh, hey, this character makes money, go make that movie as opposed to somebody like, no, I have a, I, I have a take. take. Like I have a reason why this yeah. character means something to right. me, and why we should do something with him. Yeah. Uh, and so sometimes it clicks. Like uh, again, Iron Man. Yeah. They had a take. Yeah. And it and it and it and it, w- it didn't completely align with the mm-hmm. way it was depicted in the comics, but it was close enough and it worked. Yep. Um, and so sometimes, um, in my in my main my mind, the best benchmark are the Marvel movies because there's so many of them, and you can kind of tell the ones where like somebody had a story they wanted to tell, and someone was like, the first two Thor movies. Mm-hmm. Well, we need to do Thor. Right. And so those movies exist. Right. And then you get Thor 3 and it's like, and, and there's, there's parts I like about the movies, parts I don't, but it's a take. It's a perspective. Yes. It, it, has a, it has a story it's trying to tell with this character. Yeah. Um, uh, Wonder Woman, I think Patty Jenkins had a story she wanted to tell and it's, I think that's why it's, it's so emotionally meaningful. Like I tear up when I watch that mm-hmm. movie. Um, and so you just need that. You need somebody, instead of saying like Superman's our biggest guy, so let's do something with him, you find somebody that really gets why he works. Um, and and go back to the core of the character. Did I answer your question? You did. Okay, good. It's a great answer. <laughs> it's a great answer. I think uh, I I agree with everything you said. I think that it's it's the differences. And granted, like when Superman was came around, um, we lived in a very different time. What masculinity meant. Yeah. But I think now, um, it's amazing. But I think that it's more about how people interpret masculinity Mm. Um, because I feel like Wonder Woman has, she's not the same as Superman, but 
I get, I get what Do you get what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. Like, it's okay for her to feel things. It's okay for her to be wrong. Yeah. It's okay for her to learn. It's okay for her to stumble. Uh, but we can't see our heroes who are supposed to represent. So I'm not talking about our flawed heroes or anti-heroes, yeah. right? Like, Tony Stark can be flawed and fuck up, but then come back and go, look, I'm flawed, I fucked up, let's make it right. Yeah. Um, but uh, but these people who, who are supposed to be the best of us, yeah. it almost makes us angry. Yeah. Like, it's like, you're not better than me. Yeah. And it's like, wait a second. Yeah. It, this is what a hero is supposed to be. Yeah, and I think, and I think the, the other thing that people don't, and it's actually one of the things I actually uh, enjoyed about the Justice League movie is it right, rightly points out that Superman's more human than Batman is. You know what I mean? Because uh, he he lives with people, yeah. and he and he he sees the benefit of that. And I and again, I think that if you can touch on that stuff, if you the thing that I I uh, made me gravitate towards Superman was of all things Smallville, mm-hmm. um, and because mm-hmm. it it showed me it helped me connect to the idea that Superman would be the loneliest person on the planet because mm-hmm. there's nobody, there's literally nobody like yes. him, and that makes him super. Relatable, yes. Even though he's, <laughs> even though he can, he can bench press cars and yeah. stuff like that. But I think you're touching on something interesting because, uh, you know, we were talking about Dirty Dozen, and I thought about for the uh, adjective uh, heat and everything, and, and the idea about tough guys. Yep. Because I like tough guy movies, but I think to make them work, I think when they don't work, it's like, yeah, isn't that guy cool? Uh, I, but I think what makes them work, what makes drama work, is if there's tension, mm-hmm. if there's. Um, uh, a little bit of disconnect between how you present yourself and how you feel about yourself. And so a good tough guy movie is where, you, yeah, they're fucking cool and they're fucking tough, but there's, there's an inner, there's something on the inside. John McClane is just a cop. First I heard so great. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, and yeah. it's, it's a great, that's a great spectrum. Cause you go to the first die hard and he's just a guy and his marriage isn't going well. Yeah. And, and, um, uh, and he's and walking around in bare feet, feet and, and yeah. he's just like, I got to make this work. Yeah. And he's kind of making it up as he go. And, and by the, we're on the fifth one now. He's, he's basically, uh, the, the derogatory version of a superhero right. where it's like, he's unstoppable and he's got the quips and his head shaved. And so you're not seeing that his hair is thinning, which again, makes him relatable and all that stuff. Um, and so it's like, uh, heroes are allowed to, um, you can have somebody that is, it's striving to be the best and striving to bring out the best in other people and still learn things about themselves and still grow as a person and still end up the movie realizing something, um, about themselves that they didn't know before. And hopefully the audience can relate to that on some sort of level. Yeah. Yeah. I could keep doing this, but we got to get to your project. Yes. All right. This has been great. Pausing until the next one. friends there you have it that's my conversation with my good buddy dj woldridge i was so happy to have him on don't forget to support uh chaos theory comic.com for a uh, volume two of chaos theory zombies 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 versus dinosaurs um i'm super excited for the comic i think it sounds great and um i hope you enjoyed our conversation i hope you enjoyed um the the talk about the dark knight and superman and all the things in between um stay tuned on Thursday. We have our Patreon exclusive mini coming your way uh, with more from DJ and uh, I think you're going to really like it. Alrighty friends, take care and I will see you soon. (laughs) 